Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. I want to welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. My name is uh, Rick Thompson. As the story goes, uh, little Jimmy was always a troublemaker in school, and he had He'd been kicked out of every public school in town except one. His mother was exasperated with Jimmy, so she sent him to the last public school, telling him if he didn't, have, if he didn't behave, he'd have to go to a private school. Well, sure enough, one day, just after one day, the principal calls Jimmy's mother, tells her not to bring him back to the school the next day. So Jimmy's mother decides to go ahead and send him to the Catholic private school up the road, even though... They were not religious at all. The first day at home, Jimmy was very courteous and polite to his mother, and she couldn't believe it. The next day, Jimmy was even more polite. After a week, she finally asked him if the school had tough discipline. Maybe that's what was going on. Jimmy said, tough? Mom, are you kidding? They've got one guy up on a cross in there. (laughs) Listen, we're in a series that we've entitled Homewreckers, Homewreckers. And we've been identifying or trying to identify the multiple threats that I believe are centered on our families. Left unchecked, they have the ability to absolutely slam into our spiritual homes and our very foundations and wreck what God is trying to do. Just because God has a plan for your life doesn't mean it's automatic. We have to cooperate with God's plan. Come on, somebody. And today we're going to be talking about that. The, the fifth, we talked about the lack of knowledge being a record ball. The, the scripture quite plainly says, my people perish because of a lack of knowledge. It doesn't say they're hurt. It doesn't say their feelings, you know, get hurt, you know, or they're going to have a bad day. The word perish means die. My people die because of a lack of knowledge of who he is. He says also a lack of commitment. The Bible calls us to, to have our yes be yes and our no be no. Not yes, no's. You know what a yes, no is. Yes, but I'm not, I don't plan on doing it. Yes, your yes and your no's be no's. We have issues of communication that are plaguing our families today. We're just not on the same page in terms of uh, what we're trying to communicate. And the, and the tools that we're using to communicate are not good oftentimes they're causing more problems than they're helping. And so God challenges us to learn a better way. And then, of course, there's a lack of love, which is the Bible describes what true love is as opposed to what the world says. And if you adhere to the 15-minute, you know, love account of what the world says, I love you today until I don't love you anymore, then you're going you're, you're gonna to experience a wrecking ball going through not just your heart, but your family and your lives as well. God's love is much more secure than, than what the world is offering. Amen? And he defines it to us what it is. He says love is patient and it's kind. It's not rude. It's, it's, it's long-suffering. It keeps no records of wrongs. It says love is not irritable. How many of us are irritable all the time? I'm not looking at anybody. Don't, I don't want to hear any, you know, I'm not looking at any one person. But we get irritable, and then at the same breath we say we're loving, and, and God says, you know, when we're in, the, in that mode, we're not being very loving. And so today, today we focus on the wrecking ball 
that I'm calling a lack of discipline. A lack of discipline. And when we think of discipline, automatically our mind goes back to unruly children like, like little Jimmy. But I want you to know that that's not what I'm talking about this morning. Although I believe in discipline, I think it's our job to discipline our children, and it's important. But the word discipline that I'm talking about today, yes, it includes correction or chastisement, but it also means training. Say training. That's why you hear it used in context with athletes or the military or even a career choice. What's your discipline? What's your, what's your training in? It means intentionally preparing for something in your life. And it also may mean intentionally cutting out something in your life in order for you to be better at what God is asking you to do. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, reading from the New Living Translation. He says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. It says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, what's the word he uses? Train yourself. Another translation is discipline yourself to be godly. It says physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle. Wait, why is he working hard? I thought it wasn't about works at all. Well, he said, no, there's, there's a work involved. And the work involved is called disciplining your life for godliness. We'll talk about that. He says, who is the savior of all people? Continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God who is the, is the savior of all people and particularly for all Believers. Now, again, what is Paul trying to communicate to young Pastor Timothy in this text? Basically, that we should not run from spiritual discipline. We should not run from spiritual training by incorporating what God is trying to do in our hearts and in our lives and in our churches and our communities and in our homes and in our ministries. When we do this, we will avoid the wrecking ball that the enemy is trying to bring to our lives because not all of God's plans is automatic. The day you pray to receive Jesus, that's the first step. But it's only a step in what God is trying to do in our lives. The lack of this kind of discipline can and will destroy the very foundations of everything you hope for if you let it. And so in this text, I've identified Three areas in which he highlights that we must be disciplined in. It's not optional. We have to take this on and make it a part of our lives and our very foundations in our lives. The first thing he says, we need to be disciplined in our doctrine. In our doctrine. Now, doctrine is a $10 word, but it basically means our policy, our principles. You might called our canon, our creed, our code. But in a nutshell, it basically means you must be disciplined in what you believe, in what you understand. Do you believe and teach sound doctrine in your homes? And is it even important for you? Now, if it's important for you to go to a church that's doctrinally sound, 
teaching the right thing, teaching what the Word of God says, then your home should also be doctrinally sound, teaching what the Word of God says. Listen, listen to what it says, how it says it in the, the King James Version. It says in 1 Timothy 4, 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the, what's the words he uses? Good doctrine which you have carefully followed. In other words, you didn't just hear it, you also did what it says. So in order for me to be a good teacher, I have to be disciplined in my doctrine or my theology. It's not enough for me just to declare myself moral. How many know that the, everybody in the world declares themselves moral in what they believe? You've got people who are out there who declare themselves as moral atheists or, or, or moral witches out there. And so they, they may not rob from you, but their ideology or their doctrine is way off. And so it's not just about what they are doing. It's about what they are believing as well. You can be a moral atheist and still won't get to where God wants you to be. I've got to know what the Bible says. I've got to know what it means. Not just what I wanted to say and what I wanted to mean. There are so many people that take the word of God. And my pastor, word of his grace, he used to do, he would take the word of God and he would say, Many of us, we enjoy this part of the word. God loves everybody. He accepts me the way I am. But the moment he starts tapping on your sin or, your, or, or the things that you're involved, well, I don't like that part. And he, he, he'd take a page out of the Bible and he'd just rip it and throw it away. And by the time he was done, he'd, there'd be like a pile on it. Now, he wasn't actually ripping up the Bible. He was just making a point. That's what we do with God's word. We say, oh, I like this part, but this part I don't like until we tear it up and we shred it and our doctrine becomes awky. It becomes weird. It becomes unrecognizable. I even heard an interview this week from a guy who, who claimed to be gay and also a pastor. And he wanted to introduce the, the man he was about to marry. I, and he claimed to be Christian in this whole nine yards. And to hear him twist the word of God around what he believed was amazing to listen to. Okay? So there are people out there who will do things like this. 1 Peter 3.15 says this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, what does it say? Does always mean Always. If somebody walked up to you and started talking to you about Jesus and why you believe what you believe, can you intelligently give them an answer? Yeah. Talk about warped doctrine. They can't even define what a woman is today. <laughs> Much less trying to explain <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says, always be ready to explain it. It says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. 2 Timothy 1.5, New Living says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled, listen, your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. And so Paul looks at Pastor Timothy, he says, I recognize the faith that's coming out of your life. 
He says, I recognize it because you got that faith, not just from you. It was reinforced certainly at the church he was going to, but before that, he didn't say you, didn't, you got it from your church. He said he, you got it from your mama and you got it from your grandmama. Folks, listen to me. One of the ministries of the church is to teach doctrinal truths, but ultimately that truth should be known and shared and reinforced in your homes. Ignorance is not an excuse. I was talking or texting my friend Miss Shelley to, uh, this week, and she shared, she, she, she knew what I was talking about this morning, and she shared an incident that happened in her life when she was young, and I don't think she'd mind me sharing it, but she said, you know, my grand-aunt was always praying for our salvation. She, she would tell us, she could, she, she would tell us. Uh, she tell us she couldn't read or write, so, so I had to be her scribe. I used to always wonder why she would have me read the Bible to her when she was repeating every word I was saying. She had all the Psalms memorized. Now, as an adult, I know she was trying to get the word in me one way or another. To God be the glory. Amen. Thank God. And when she said that, it just reminded me of my own, my, my mother, my, my, her brother, Uncle Jonesy, my aunt, all believers in Christ, known this from a small age. And where did they get their Jesus from? Where did they hear it from? Well, well they heard it from this woman. Do we have a picture of her? That's my grandma. That's my grandma, Miriam, my mom's mom. Awesome woman of God, Miriam Veronica Rivera Theodora Gaddishaw. All right? Who not only shared it with her kids, okay, but was a children's missionary in Jamaica, and she went around the hillsides of Jamaica loving on children and teaching them about Jesus. And that seed that they plant, she planted in my mom and my grandparents passed down to me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And so through them, I have a Christian legacy and a responsibility now to pass it on to my kids and my grandkids, the doctrine of our great faith in Christ. Now listen, how far we can teach them to throw a ball or put them in programs where they learn how to do backflips for cheerleading or play instruments or kick a ball into a net, listen to me, or even achieve multiple degrees and diplomas for that matter. That's all good. But if that's all we've inspired them to do in this life, we've fallen short. Those are all good things, but faith in Christ is better. Amen? 2 Timothy 1.13 says, hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you've learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Folks, the Bible says there's going to come a time when people will no longer hold on to sound doctrine but they will amass leaders and spiritual leaders who will tickle their ears and just tell them what they want to hear. Like I've been saying, it's our job to teach our kids about Christian 
doctrine and to protect them from the foolishness that's out there. And it should start in our homes, and we should take every opportunity to put our kids under the influence of God's truth. That should be priority number one in our lives. So many of us, listen to me, we don't have a problem taking our kids to school or sports events or even the latest movie, but when it comes to church group or church-related activities, we always have excuses, it seems. It's a no. Or we find, we tell them to find your own way there. Now listen to me. You know what the message that, that sends to the kids? It tells the kids that doctrinally, that truth, doctrinal truth is not a priority for you in, or in our homes. It's our job, again, to get them biblical doctrinal training. In order to, and in order to teach it, guess what? We have to know it ourselves. Amen? We have to know it ourselves. And we, and we aren't going to know it unless we become disciplined. In other words, I've got to open the Bible. And I've got to see what this thing says. Not just once a week. On Sunday, you know, the pastor teaching. This needs to become part of your DNA, open this thing and understand what the Bible is saying and let us stop making excuses. And so we need to be disciplined in that area. We also need to be disciplined concerning myths or counterfeits that are out there. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And so that begs the question, what is a myth? Well, by definition, it says it's a traditional story, especially one concerning the early history of a people or explaining some natural or social phenomenon, typically involving supernatural beings or events. And so when it says don't be involved with myths, no, it actually says don't be involved with godless myths. What's a godless myth? It's a false teaching or false doctrine about God. In the early church, pretty much as soon as Jesus showed up, so did the godless myths or the, old, or the wives' tales designed by the devil to confuse and to bring doubt. But ultimately, he doesn't want, ultimately what he's trying to do is he doesn't want us to get saved. And so all of a sudden, now you start putting out these other things. But they say even with the currency today, the way they know, uh, um, the way they teach people to determine whether they're getting counterfeit money is not necessarily just looking at the, 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 the fake money that's out there. They tell us, they tell them that they have to study what the dollar bill looks like, what the $10 bill looks like, what, what it looks like. And once they've got this thing down, the moment counterfeit something comes across the plate, they know, uh, no, this doesn't look right. Let's check this. Folks, if we don't study what the Word of God says, you're not going to know what a counterfeit looks like. Come on, somebody. And so there, what are some, some modern-day godless myths today? Well, one of them is reincarnation, that you're going to somehow come back as a, a bird or, or Cleopatra or something else, you know, that you've got many chances in this life, don't worry about it. You just you're dying. You'll come back as something else, and and the Bible says the exact opposite. It says it's appointed unto man. Listen to me. Once to die, just one night, 
and then to face judgment. Uh, reincarnation is a godless myth that's being taught and propagated today. Another one, you've heard me say it before, is evolution. It's taught as science, but it's science fiction. Right there in the beginning of the Bible, it tells us that in the beginning, God created. And then it says he created them after their own kind. Nothing is evolving. Nothing has evolved in, in, the, in the moments that we've been here, or you'll start to see some kind of fossil. Things adapt. They, you know, a beak gets longer, or you know, you're in a winter area, and so the, the, the uh, fur gets furrier, but it's still a bear. <laughs> it's still a monkey. A monkey ain't becoming a human. A fish ain't growing legs. Come on, somebody. It's all nonsense. This is all godless myths taught as science, but it's science fiction. There are myths concerning marriages that are somewhere out there, and it goes something like this. Somewhere, my Prince Charming is going to be there. And when he comes into my life, he's going to sweep me off from my feet, and we're going to live happily ever after. And before even the credits stop rolling on that fairy tale, reality sits in. Come on, somebody. And he says something that you don't like or does something or she does something that you don't like. And, and all of a sudden, that little bubble gets burst on, your, on you. That fantasy is burst. And then you start thinking, well, I must have made a mistake. And you start looking elsewhere for happily ever after, and you see this pattern going on and on. This person doesn't meet my needs. I thought they were this. They said, and all this other stuff goes on. Listen, that is a myth. It's a myth. Not realizing that, 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 that true agape love that we learned about last week is not based on our feelings alone. It's based on a commitment. Say commitment. Come on, somebody. It's based on a commitment. First to God who is love, the Bible says, and then by his grace to each other. And that's what he says, love God and love the people around you. And the word he uses is not a conditional love, it's agape. God's called us to an agape love to the people around us. And that's the only way it's going to work no matter who you're married to. Now, truth is, when God helps, when, when, with God's help, hopefully and prayerfully, Listen to me, you're going to choose the right person you're going to marry. And the marriages that stay together isn't because they never argue or have disagreements. Listen to me. It's because they've made a choice to stay married for better or for worse and to apply the principles or the trainings that they get from the word of God that, that love keeps no records of long. He calls us to walk in forgiveness. Come on, somebody. And if you want mercy, to extend mercy, especially to the ones in your home. The Bible says have nothing to do with godless myths. And we have myths about God. Saying, Pastor Rick, I know, I know, I know my God. And I always put that in quotes. My God wants me to be happy. It really doesn't matter what I do or who I do it with or what I do on Friday nights or Saturday evenings before Sunday comes along. It doesn't matter what I put in my body. As long as I'm happy, I know God is happy because that is the be-all and end-all of my God. He wants me to be happy. And then Jesus comes along. And then he opens his mouth. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And then he says, if you love me, 
you will do what I say. Pop. All of a sudden, that little fantasy bubble pops. What? What are you saying? It's not about me? No. No, it's not about you. It's about him. It's, a, it, it's what Joshua figured out. Remember after Moses died, now God told him to go into the promised land after all that time. And the first city that they encounter was this walled, fortified city. And, and Joshua goes to scope it out. And in the process of him scoping it out, he sees this, this angelic-looking figure in, in warrior outfit. And, he, and, and he's not sure who it is. And he asks the question, uh, who are you? Are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the response was, uh, uh, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. See, he was asking all the wrong questions. The question isn't, are we for God? Uh, I mean, is God for us or is he for our enemies? The question is, are we for God? Are we on the same page as him? Come on, somebody. And so when we have this mindset that God is all about meeting all my needs, like he's some great big Santa Claus in the sky or ATM, and the moment things don't happen the way you think, uh, you're saying, well, something's wrong. No, no, something's wrong. You had an idol. You created a God in your mind <laughs> because you don't know what the Word of God says because the Word of God accurately describes who God is. He's got a will and a plan and a purpose. And in his love, he's including us in his plan and his purpose. But it's not for us to say, okay, this is what my God is. If, if it don't line up with the word of God, then that God you created is just a figment of your and mine imagination. Does that make sense? So he calls us to be disciplined in our knowledge toward him. And then, and then third, he says we need to be disciplined concerning godliness. Godliness. Now listen to 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. In the new living, it says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Who's, who's responsible to train yourself? Who is? You are. Say, I am. Train yourself. Again, it's not just about saying a prayer. It's about listening to what he says and then applying those things to my life. And so I want you to write this down. You can't be godly or God-like without self-discipline. You can't be godly or God-like without self-discipline. In other words, it means we need to know our strengths and our weaknesses, and it means we're going to work on the areas that we need to strengthen and get rid of the things that cause us to stumble. Does God expect us to get rid of things that cause us to stumble? Or does he, continue, does he expect us to continually live uh, a contradictory life where on, on Sunday you present one way or to your Christian friends you present one way but to your work friends and your buddies on outside or, or other people who know you it's a totally different person and they're like wait, wait, wait that's who you are? You're walking contradiction. And so like I said I always say God loves us way too God loves us enough to accept us just the way we are but he loves us way too much to keep us that way. Because there are things in our lives and in our hearts, he says, it's not going to help you. It might even hurt you. I was at a funeral just yesterday, and I was there when the young man gave his life to Jesus. 
So I know that he gave his life to the Lord and at some point, but there were things in his life that continued to hinder him and, and hurt him and sins that he held on to. And my Bible says the wages of sin is death. The plan that God has for you can be hindered by the things you're holding on. I didn't say it. Listen to what the word of God says. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, what does it say? Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now listen to me. You may make it to heaven eventually, but while you're on this earth, God's got a plan for you. And in that plan, he's saying, okay, I've got things for you to do, but if there are things in your life, sins that you're entangled with, you've got to get rid of them. Because if you don't, it's going to trip you up. It's going to become like a a wrecking ball in your life. And so God doesn't just call us to salvation. He calls us to to a God-filled living life. Does that make sense? And so practically, what is he asking us to do? Listen to me. You may have to start saying no to a few things. You may have to start saying if you, if you have issues with, with lust and stuff along those lines, you may have to go through your phone and say, okay, I've got to get rid of this app, got rid of this app. If your issue is a late night, you know, while everyone's sleeping, you're turning on HBO and all this other nonsense that they're putting on and it's causing you to stumble, you might have to get rid of HBO. It's getting quiet in here. and start filling it with other things. You may have to decline those after-hour parties and spend a little bit more time in God's Word. I know it doesn't sound as sexy, but it won't leave you broke, busted, and disgusted, hooked on substances. You might have to practically say, okay, this thing in my life is hurting me, and it's hurting my family. And it's hurting my friends, and it's, and it's compromising my future. Whatever this thing is, whether it's porn or drugs or drinking or whatever it is, and you have, might have to make a conscious decision that I'm going to live a disciplined life before the Lord, and some of those things mean I'm going to add some things to my life, like time in God's Word, and I'm going to take some things out of my life. For you, for someone else, it might be your workaholic, and it's affecting your family. So God might be telling you, time to take a vacation. You need it, and your family needs it as well. Would God tell someone to take regular periods of rest? He absolutely will. He put it in the the seven-day thing, right? He says, on six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. That wasn't practical because he knows that people have the tendency to work themselves to death, if you will. Now, he says, six days you shall work, and one, and one day you shall rest. But some people have that in reverse because the opposite can be true as well. He might be telling you, listen to me, there are some people who have the opposite. One day they work, and six days they rest. And they wonder why they're broke, uh, as, 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 you know, they, they, why they have no money. And then they, they come in, well, Pastor Rick, you know, I don't know what's going on. Well, tell me what's, hap- what's happening. 
Well, well, I mean, I have never have enough money. Well, well, where are you working? Well, I work at the local electric color. How, how, how many hours are you putting in? Well, I'm putting in, you know, 10, 10 12 hours. Uh, 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 a day? No, 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 a week. That's why you're broke. You, you don't need to be a rocket scientist. Go to work. <laughs> Listen, get a job. Support your family. Talking to my mom, I had somebody in the transition house, and when I took him in, he was 35 years old. When I took him in, they were living in their car, and his wife was eight months pregnant, and he had an 11-year-old daughter. And so I go over with everybody, and I say, okay, this is the expectations. You're going to get a job. Obviously, no drugs in the place. You're going to come to church. Blah, blah, blah. Go over all that stuff. Months into this thing, he hadn't yet found a job. I said, I called him in my office and said, what's going on? He said, well, you know, what do you expect? I mean, I can't find a job. I said, where have you been looking? It's been six months. You haven't found a job? Well, what do you expect me to do? You expect me to go to Dunkin' Donuts and put, don't, put on one of those funny hats and, and parade around with one of those funny hats? I said, I expect you to do whatever it takes for you, for you to support your family. That's what I expect. And let me make myself very clear. If you don't get a job, I will keep your wife and kids here, and I'll, I'll put you out. He said, well, that's not very loving and very Christian of you, Pastor Rick. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Because my doctrine, my Bible says, if a man won't work, neither should he eat. See, when you know what the Word of God says, when people come back at you with foolishness, it's not a problem. He got a job. <laughs> but I got to tell you this, you're a grown man. I got to tell you, it's your responsibility to take care of your family and your kids. I want you to write this down. You can't have the life God wants for you without being godly. Again, I'm not saying you can't be saved. You can be saved. But if you choose to hold on to godless things in your life, well, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And you might be taken out of this earth early. And that wasn't ultimately God's plan for you. You just weren't cooperating with what God wanted to do for you. I, I see it all the time. I see people who get caught up in drugs and they won't let go of the drugs. They overdose. You think that was God's plan for them? No. And I, and I know that they're sincere because they got caught up in it. Maybe they were younger. They gave their hearts to the Lord. And, and when they're in prison and they're clean from the drugs, they will mention things. You know, I love Jesus. I'm finally clean and this and that. But the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. And when they, when they get out, they get hooked back on this stuff going on. And, and eventually, they die. And it wasn't God's plan for them. And so the Bible says, don't be entangled with these things. Get rid of these things in your life because God wants better for you. Now, let me remind you what Timothy said. He says, physical training is good in 1 Timothy 4.8. But training for godliness is much better, not even a little bit better, much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. 
Well, Pastor Rick, why is my life such a mess? Well, let me just say, well, we live in a fallen world, and things happen in this world. You've heard me say that before. The scripture says God causes all things, I mean, God causes it to rain on the just as well as the unjust. So whether you're good or you're bad, righteous or not, we're going to have challenges in this life, right? Uh, earthquakes are going to come, like, like just hit Turkey. It's nobody's fault. Tornadoes are going to pop up. Inflation, stock market issues, unexpected illnesses and calamities. These are all the things you cannot control. In all those cases, and everybody experiences these things. As believers in Christ, he tells us that for the believer, he's never going to leave us, nor is he going to forsake us. But we're not going to avoid going through the floods and the valleys of this life. He just says, listen, you're going to go through it, and I'm going to go through it with you. But having said that, there are some messes that come on us by way of what we bring on ourselves due to living an undisciplined life. And I've mentioned a few of them already. Drugs and alcohol and continuing in pornography. Some financial situations where we figure, uh, you know, I just got to have it, just got to have it. Trying to keep up with the Joneses. They're going out there and partying. You're, still, you're a believer now. You're still going out there partying? Doing all this nonsense? Who are you hanging out with? Places you're going. And you know in your heart you shouldn't be doing these things, yet you continue. Listen, the answer to avoiding these wrecking balls is training and self-discipline. And yes, in Christ, the old things have passed away and new things have come, and we've been accredited righteousness or right standing in God, but the Bible says now that you've been made holy, be holy. Now that you've been made holy, act that way and start moving toward the things of God and getting rid of the things that God doesn't want for you. In other words, begin to practice godliness and self-discipline in your life. And the more you do it, the stronger you'll be, and it will benefit you in this life and the life to come. Now, we're familiar by now with Jeremiah 29, 11, Right? And even 12 and 13, but it's 14 that I want to draw our attention to you. But I'm going to read it all. But I want you to listen to what it says. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, verse 14, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. And I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. And I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I will bring you home again to your own land. Listen, I'm speaking to somebody out there today. Holy Spirit is directing this message to you. You may have gone away and things have happened in your life. But I promise you the heart of God is for restoration. He wants to end your captivity. He wants to bring us home in this life. But it's going to take surrendering our whole heart, giving it all to him. That is the requirement for us to walk in the freedom that he has because godliness holds a benefit for this life 
and the life to come. There is the promise of eternal life, but godliness brings benefit to this life because you start letting go of the foolishness. Now you say, Pastor Rick, I've tried, I can't do it. Listen, I believe you can't do it in and of yourself. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. And so what he calls us to do is to, to present before him the universal sign. You know what the universal sign of surrender is? Come on, somebody. And in this position, I was reading in my word, even Jesus when speaking to the Father prior to him going to the cross, the eve of his, of, of, of his incarceration, he said, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, please take this cup from me. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but, my, but thine will be done. Abba speaks of relationship. It literally means daddy. And when your children, when our children, when they want something or they need something, what do they do? They put their hands up. And in the same way, God is calling us into a personal relationship with him. It's not one of, you know, there's a God somewhere out there who doesn't care about what's going on in our life. God absolutely cares what's happening in your life. And he wants relationship with you. And he wants you to know that he loves you and he wants to help set us free. And he calls us to a godly life and he says, I will help you to live that way. And in the moment you accept Christ, listen to me, the scripture says the Holy Spirit comes and he dwells inside of you. And, it's, and the Bible says uh, he starts to work those things that he doesn't want in your life. He starts to bring them to attention and to work them out of your life. And here's the good news. He says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Can God do it? He absolutely can. Does he want to? He absolutely does. He wants to take, pull us out of captivity and to bring us into our right minds <laughs> and into a place called freedom and home with him. But it takes you saying, Lord, that's what I want to. And not just today, but every day. Lord, that's what I want. Make me into the man and the woman of God that you've called me to be, that you created me to be. And in that process, listen, you'll start to think like him. Yes, the mind of Christ. And when foolish doctrines come across your way, as you get into his word, you won't have to say, is this real or not? You're going to know because you have studied the real. <laughs> and in studying the real, when the counterfeit comes across your, 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 your life, you're going to say, you know, no, that's not God. That's not God. That's not God. But it takes, it takes effort and discipline on your part and mine. Get into God's word. Teach it in your homes. Make it a priority. I'm not saying don't do the soccer and the whatever else you got going on. But don't let that be the be-all and end-all, especially for your children, because their life depends on it. And if they embrace foolish doctrines, there's going to be a wrecking ball of lies that come and smash into it. When the world can't figure out, well, it's not the world, because we're talking about that. The world is laughing at us. 
When you can't, you can't walk up to somebody and say, what, what is a woman? And you can't answer that? You have embraced a godless myth. <laughs> In the beginning, God made them male and female. It's the it's in the first book of the Bible. Figure it out. So let's make a commitment to be self-disciplined and not allow that wrecking ball of nonsense to come into our lives. But it all starts with saying yes to the claims of Christ on your life. Have you accepted Jesus as your Savior? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to pass from this life into the next, that you would be with him? Have you made that commitment to him yet? It's not about works. I was talking to a group yesterday, and I said concerning salvation, if God said in order for you to be saved, in order, in order for the whole world to be saved, you have to climb the highest mountain. Now, there are people in the Himalayas, and they go climb these mountains to get wisdom from gurus and all this nonsense because they think that's, that's the answer. If God actually said, in order for you to be saved, you've got to climb the highest mountain. Let's say it's Mount Kilimanjaro, wherever that is. How many know of the 7 billion people on the planet, if they believed that, they would line up and try to, and try to climb that mountain? And unfortunately, the only people who will be able to climb that mountain are those who are in fairly good shape. I don't even think I'll be able to climb that mountain because I'm like, I'm just walking down the street. I get tired. Come on. I know I, know I got to lose a little weight. I know that. But if that was the stipulation, how many of us would be in trouble? But that's not what God said. God, what God said, in order for you to be saved, for God so loved you, that it gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God could not have made it any easier. He says, believe in what my son has done. Believe in the grace. Believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go to the cross for his own sins. He had none. He went to the cross for my sins and your sins and the sins of the world. And the Bible says the person who says that they don't have any sin is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And so in order for me to get this salvation started in my life, all he says, I don't want you to climb Kilimanjaro. I want you to believe the doctrine of the Bible that in Jesus and Jesus alone is salvation. Have you done that? And if you haven't, why not? Scripture says today if you hear his voice don't, hard, don't harden your heart. If God is calling you to come into relationship with him the only sensible thing to do is to say yes Lord here I am. If that's you today and I'm not forcing it on anybody because when I heard it the first time, when I heard it, I heard it, and I responded. And so God needs to be speaking to you. If I'm the one convincing you, then somebody can come behind you and convince you the opposite. But when God convinces you, ain't nobody's going to tell you anything any different. Amen? And so if you've not asked Christ to be your Lord and your Savior, and you would like to, it would be my privilege and my honor to lead you in a prayer. 
Because that's where it all starts. And then afterwards, the process of godly living and getting rid of stinking thinking and all this other stuff, he'll take care of that. He'll say, okay, I want you to put that down. Oh, I want you to pick that up. Does that make sense? So if that's you today, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're listening online and God is calling you and you want to respond, say something like this from your heart. Say it out loud to him. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before you today. And I admit that I have blown it in more ways than one. And don't be flip about it either. Just in your heart, tell him how you've blown it. Tell him about things, things you've said that you should not have said, things you've done. This is called confession. You don't have to confess to a priest. You can confess right to God and tell him that you're sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've done. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, not for his sins, but for my sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave. And because he lives, I believe the doctrine of the promises that because he lives, we shall live as well. Thank you, Lord, that you call us not just to have a good life in this life, but in the life to come. I commit my life completely to you. In Jesus' name. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.